Bibles, open them up today to 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings 18. And as you're turning there, uh, let me just say something that is so important to God. Above anything else in our lives, God wants to have all of our hearts, our worship, our focus, our adoration. God wants to be number one and have all of our hearts. In fact, the very first of the Ten Commandments, command number one, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. When Jesus was questioned what is the most important commandment, Jesus said, above all else, we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants all of our hearts, not just part of our hearts, which gives good reason if you are Satan, if you are the spiritual enemy, what would you try to do to hurt God? Well, if I were Satan, I would try to take the hearts of the people away from the one true God and try to get people to worship and serve false gods, which is something that Satan's been doing throughout history. Putting false gods in the place of the one true God, it is called the sin of idolatry. Now, if you're taking notes at all of our campuses, here's kind of a key thought for the day. Write this down. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God provides. For example, uh, money is a pretty popular false god. If you agree, say yes. Yes, money is very popular. What does money do? Money promises what only God can provide. Money says if you have enough money, you'll be happy and secure. That's what many people believe about the false God of money. But the reality is once you get enough money and someone says uh, you have cancer and you're going to die in 30 days, you realize it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't make you secure. It's a, it's a false promise. And money says if you have enough, you'll be happy, but it doesn't matter how much money you have. If one day you find out you've lost one of your own children, there's no amount of money that can buy your happiness in that moment. It's a false promise. It's a false God that promises something that it does not provide. In the life of Elijah, many people were living idolatrous lives. They were worshiping and serving false gods. In fact, if you missed last week, let me review to give you context, which will help us in understanding as we move forward. Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil king named King Ahab, who was married to the wicked uh, woman Jezebel. Uh, Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king, okay? Scripture says that he did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him, so he was the worst of the worst. And of all his long list of sins and wickedness, the worst thing that he did was he continued turning the hearts of the people away from the one true God toward the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal was the sun god or the fire god. Asherah was, was kind of like Baal's wife. And the people were no longer worshiping the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they were worshiping the false gods. The false gods promised, if you worship me, we'll make your crops grow. If you worship me, then you'll have a better life. False gods promise what only the true God provides. God raises up Elijah, who confronts the king and basically says, because of your idolatry, God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. So here is this major drought. Tons of people are dying. It's, 
this just it, famine. It's the worst thing you could imagine. And so God sends Elijah into a period of hiding and preparation. Why? Because King Ahab wanted him dead. He says, everybody, if you find him, kill him on the spot. And so God takes Elijah to the place called the Kareth Ravine. If you were here last week, Kareth means the place of cutting, cutting down. It's a place of humbling where God humbled him and developed him in, into even a stronger man of God. God fed him by morning and evening, by ravens who flew in, would drop bread and, um, and meat, and then he was, uh, had drink through the brook, but one day the brook dried up. God called him to move on to a place known as Zareph, where there was a widow who God used to provide for him with just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour that never miraculously ran dry. One day, the widow's son died. This growing man of faith took the son up to the upper room, called out to God, and God raised this boy from the dead. And we see the prophet developing into the man of God that God wants him to become. Now, our last ver verse told us that he went into hiding. We find out now God calls him to go and confront the evil king, and here's where we pick up the story. We're about three years into the drought, and in 1 Kings 18, verse 17 and 18, we see them together again. Scripture says, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now, the Hebrew word that's translated as troubler can also be translated as snake or viper or asp. Okay, it's, it's saying, hey, you no good, low down snake. I'm, it's your fault all this is happening. All these people are dying with this huge drought because of you, Elijah. Elijah says, I'm not taking any of that from you. He pops back toward the king, verse 18, and says, no, 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 no. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's command, and you have followed the Baals. You are committing the sin of idolatry. You are putting false gods ahead of the one true God. And Elijah was confronting the very popular idea that there are many gods. Now, I'll give you a couple of words that we studied in seminary. You may or may not know these words, but they're the words monotheism and polytheism. If you're taking notes, what is monotheism? It's the belief that there is one God. As Christians, we are monotheistic in our beliefs. Polytheistic, though, is the belief that there are multiple gods. And Elijah was confronting a very polytheistic culture where they would worship multiple gods. Now, those of you who are Christians, you would say, well, we are monotheistic. We believe in one true God. But even though we believe in one true God, many of us live what I would call polytheistic lives. We believe in God, but in reality, we worship and serve many false gods. Most people I know aren't worshiping the false gods of Baal or Asherah. In reality, the false gods today that people worship and serve are much more socially acceptable, right? I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people worship the false god of money or people worship the false gods of material possessions. You know, your house, your car, could be your, your image, you know, your, your look. It could be your favorite sport. It could be your career. It could be your, your hobby. I mean, oddly enough, it could be your children. You, know, you say, well, how in the world could our children be a false god when you elevate anything into the rightful place of the one true God and put anything on the throne of your life besides God? That is idolatry, even something as good and important as your children. 
So that's why I would ask the question to all of you today to identify what are the false gods that you serve? What are the false gods that you put ahead of the one true God? And I'll tell you a few in my life, and I'm not proud of these, but one is, and it's just, I mean, very obvious, that at, in so many different seasons of my life, I've made the church, the ministry, what I do, the number one most important thing in my life. And it's obvious that serving the church is my calling, it's what I'm here to do, but yet I've made the church number one. It's the most important, even above God. I'll do it in the name of God, but it becomes my God. Grow the church, serve the church, and that's become an idol in my life. Another thing, very honestly, is that my family has been an idol to me. And, you know, obviously a family's good, and I should love my wife and all my kids, but the truth is I've, I've put them at the number one most important place in my life too many times. Another false god for me is kind of what I'd call the, uh, the promise of future security. If I can just save enough, then one day, somewhere out there in the future, then I'll have this secure thing and won't need anything. For, it's, it's the false god of future security. I'd ask you to be honest. What are some of the false gods you've elevated and erected in the place of the one true God? The sin of idolatry. Sure, we're monotheistic in our beliefs, but our practices are often very polytheistic. So Elijah the prophet steps into this polytheistic culture, and he makes a very prophetic and very strong statement. If you're taking notes, I could summarize this, this story in this one message. He looks at them as they're going back and forth, and he says, with all the authority of God, he says, people, it is time to quit wavering. It's time. Quit wavering between the gods. Quit going back and forth. It's time to quit wavering. So what he does is he basically says, we're going to have a good old-fashioned showdown. Watch what he says to the king in verse 19 through 21. He says to the king, king, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. May we pause for a moment and say, that is one big honking table. Okay, just had to say it. Okay, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Verse 21, here's where Elijah gets in the people's face. Elijah went before the people, and he asked this piercing question. He asked, how long will you waver between two opinions. How long will you waver? Then he says this, help me out. He says, if the Lord is God, what do you do? Say it aloud, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, what do you do? Follow him. But the people said nothing. And he steps in and says, how long will you do this? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And I can guarantee you, if Elijah were here today, he'd say the same thing 
to us. Quit wavering. I mean, you want, yeah, well, God, keep me out of hell and get me into heaven, but I still want to do whatever I want. Oh, God, hear my prayer and bless me, but I don't want to obey your commands. Oh, God, I, I, I want all of your good things, but I don't want to stop my bad things. Oh, God, I quit wavering. Quit being a Christian on Sunday and a heathen on Monday. Quit claiming Christ and living like you don't know him. Quit wanting the benefits and being unwilling to sacrifice. Just quit wavering. Pick a side. In fact, I'm trying to contextualize Elijah's message to today. And here's what I honestly think he would say. You know, he's not going to say, hey, if Baal's got you're going to go, Baal who? Here, I think here's what he would say. If your false god, little g, whatever it is, really is God, then sell out to it, okay? In other words, if material possessions, if they're really the most important thing, then quit just sort of accumulating them, but go for it. I mean, get into massive debt, steal if you have to. I'm not joking about this, because if the, if the greatest thing is accumulation, then everything should be justified, and stealing would be justified. And don't ever give again. Don't ever do anything generous because that would then diminish your ultimate goal of accumulating. If material possessions, if that is truly God, then go for it. If your image, if that's truly God, then, man, don't just kind of do it. I mean, get in the gym three hours a day. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I'm there, baby, I'm there. You know, um, tan it, tweak it, Tat it, puff it, tuck it, lift it, twist it, curl it, color it, funk it. I mean, whatever it is, do it. I mean, quit just, and just ignore the fact that you're going to die. Don't, don't even think about that. That would totally disqualify the God of your appearance. Buy whatever clothes you need and go for it, okay? Oh, no, oh, sexual pleasure. If that's your God, go for it. Go for it. Don't let something as small as marriage hold you back. If you're not married, more power to you. If you are married and you're not, you know, step outside of marriage. I mean, go, and you know, so if you like to play on both sides of the street, I mean, who am I to judge? Do whatever you want. Go for it. If that's your God, go for it. Your house, is that your God? Quit doing one little room at a time. I mean, going to debt, hire the best, you know, landscape it. If those things are your God, then quit playing around and go for it. But if Christ, the Son of God, is the one true God, then quit your wavering. Serve him with all of your hearts. Don't just claim him and then live as if he doesn't exist. Serve him. I can, just, I can feel the power of Elijah looking directly at me and saying, Craig, quit wavering. And hear him saying it to our church. Quit wavering. How long will you waver between two opinions? So what does he do? He has this showdown, and he goes and says, get, uh, get two bulls for me. One bull for you, one bull for me. We're going to build a couple of altars, and we're going to sacrifice these, and we're going to call on your God, our God, and we'll see who really is God. So we'll pick up the story and see what happens. 
verse 24. He says this. Then you call on the name of whom? Help me out. He says, you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, and the one who answers by what? The one who answers by fire, who is he? Scripture says he is God. And then all the people said what you say is good. And here's what they were thinking. They were thinking, you idiot. Do you know who you're dealing with? You're saying we're going to call on Baal. Baal is the sun god, sun, hot, fire, you're going to get smoked, silly prophet. And so he goes on this deal, verse 26, Scripture says, so they took the bull, they prepared it, these are the prophets, they, they prepared it, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. And, and they're dancing around going, oh, Baal, answer us, and they shouted. But the Bible says there was what? The Bible says there was no response, no one answered, and so they danced around the altar that they had made. Now, I did a little research on this dance, and um, I would actually do it for you, but then you might not come back, okay? Now, really, this was just a worship dance. It's, it was a full body, jumping up and down. It was this twisting around. It was this, this shouts of, of joy and shrieks to their falls, and nothing happened. Nobody dances like that today, do they? Nobody does that, except if you're at a concert, you know, or if you have the promise of some great singer coming. Or, I don't know if you've ever watched um, Extreme Home Makeover, move that buzz! Worship, right? You know, or, you know, or sports. I mean, and I gotta be honest, I'm the first guy there. I mean, I'm on the front row, I don't have my shirt off because I'm not fat and paint something on like some of you guys who've never played football before. But, you know, it, you know they, they, I'm, I'm there with you, man. I'm cheering. I'm, you know, and if I'm playing, man, I mean, I'm like, oh, I'm patting bottoms, flat hand, never cupped. You've, you know, you, you cup your hand, you can't come to church here. Flat hand is to, you know, totally into it, and it's, it's, it's worship. I mean, it's, it's, that's the most important thing. Ah! And that's what they were doing. Bam! Sin fire, nothing happened. So, I love this. Elijah starts jacking with them. I mean, this is funny. This is a man of God, and he's gonna mess with them. Here's what he does. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Why don't you shout louder? I think he can hear you, okay? Surely, he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Where he's busy, where he's traveling, <laughs> maybe he's sleeping and somebody needs to go wake him up. What's he doing? He's jacking with him. He's messing with him. I know he's a god, but maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a little siesta. He's got his milk and cookies. He's taking a little nap. Now, here's what's just funnier than fire, okay? When he says maybe he's busy, what he's really saying is, and I, I just have to tell you, look it up, okay? I studied Hebrew in seminary. Look it up. I'm not making this up. This isn't a Danny Gokey deal. This is the truth, okay? What he's really saying is maybe he's going to the bathroom. That's funny. <laughs> That's what he said. The most literal translation is maybe he's busy. Maybe he's relieving himself. Now, I'm just picturing this. You got, you got Elijah, the man of God, and he's like going, shout louder. And I can just hear him saying, keep a straight face. Don't you laugh. Okay. Maybe he's on vacation. <laughs> Maybe he's in deep thought. <laughs> Maybe.
baby, he's on the job. <laughs> you know, and he's, just, and he's, he's taunting them. Maybe, where is your God? Maybe he needs to put down the newspaper. Anyway, and he, he's busy, okay? So if you read on verse 28 through 35, what they do? They shouted louder, they danced around, they went crazy, they started to cut themselves, because that's what they did. And scripture says they shouted all day long. Sadly, though, many of us, we don't dance for the false gods all day long, but many of us do it all lifetime long, our whole lifetime, dancing, praising, pursuing, serving, and worshiping the false gods that promise but never deliver, all lifetime long. So finally, the end of the day, they danced, cut themselves, nothing happened. Elijah does this, 1 Kings 18, verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward, and what did he do? The Bible says he what? He what? He prayed. Okay? He didn't dance, shout, cut himself, do everything he could to get God's attention. He prayed. Next week, we're going to look at the faith and the prayer life of this awesome man of God in great detail. He prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God and that you are what? And that you are turning their hearts back again. Can you see the power and the beauty in those statements? Answer me, O Lord, reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Let us see you. Reveal yourself by fire. May we feel the heat of your love. Show us who you are, why? So that you may turn the hearts of the people back again because they used to know you, they used to walk with you, they, they used to serve you, they used to worship you, but these false gods have taken your place, O God, turn their hearts back again. And as I read that, I feel such passion for so many of you. Because there are those of you, you walked with him. And then you walked away. And you put some false god or any combination of false gods on the throne of your life. And today, God is trying to reveal himself to you. Why? So you can turn your hearts back to him again. And there are those of you, that's why you're here, because God's been working. Why? So you can turn your hearts back to him again. That's why you're here. Turn your hearts back to him. Whoever's God, reveal yourself by fire. Now, if you don't know anything about fire, fire's hot. Fire's hot. I grew up playing with fire. I used to get in trouble. You're going to burn the house down. Don't play with fire, kids. Okay? Don't do what I did. I did uh, they, had, they used to have these little, um, they were little cups at restaurants. You could peel the little lid off, and they had powdered cream in them. You could put it in your coffee and stir it up, and it would turn into cream. Well, we never downed drink coffee, but what I found out is those things are highly flammable. If you pour that powder onto a, a lit mat, <laughs> it's awesome. Don't try it, but it was awesome. And so the other thing you don't want to try is you don't ever want to take 
you don't, you don't want to think to yourself, if one does this, what will 10 do? Okay, so one time I did, I took 10 little things, put them in a bigger cup, and all my buddies gathered around, and I was stupid enough to stand over and watch this. <laughs> you know, and, okay, I used to have a unibrow, <laughs> and it just burned that thing. It burned my eyelashes, my, my eyelashes, my eyebrows, it burned my hair. If I did it today, it would have burned those little nose hairs. I know it's gross, but when you're 40 or so, they just happen. You've got hair everywhere, and it, never mind. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> I feel better now that I told you that. So, whoever is God, reveal yourself by fire. He prays, and in verse 38, watch what happens. He prays, and watch what happens. Then the fire of the Lord, imagine that. Imagine just this, this lightning rod of fire from heaven fell, and here's what Scripture says. It burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil, and it licked up all the water around that the false prophets had poured on. It licked up the water. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that would be my prayer for our church, that we would so see him for who he is, that all the false gods would fall far away in comparison to the one true God. And our hearts would be turned back to him and we would say, Lord, he is God. He, he is God. Now, I'll be honest, first time I read this story, I thought to myself, well, duh, you send fireball from heaven, I'm impressed, right? I mean, like, okay, if I said, God, if you're really there, burn this baby up. <laughs> okay, you're God. <laughs> I can't do that, you can. Why doesn't God do that today? Why doesn't God show himself like that? And then the same time I was kind of asking that question, I realized in so much of an infinitely more beautiful way just how God showed himself to us 2,000 years ago when he left heaven, became one of us in the person of his son Jesus and lived the perfect and sinless life so that, he, so that he could die for us on a cross and be raised again so we could know him. And when you do know him through Christ, then all the false gods just seem to fall away. So if Elijah were living today, I think he'd say, Craig, quit wavering. <laughs> if you know God for who he is, you'll never be tempted to serve these false gods because the one true God is so much greater. All of our campuses praying together, God, we ask that you would pierce us with that question and that we would be humbled and in a spirit of repentance, we would dethrone all the idols that are standing in the place of where you want to be. All of our campuses today, as you just take a moment and, and you just reflect in prayer, I just want to ask you, is, is there, are you wavering? Do you have those, those idols that are in a place? I, I know I have and I do, and, and um, I'm convicted and repentant. If that's you today, if you'd say quite honestly, yes, there are those things in my life that they're, they're not giving honor to God, and I want to repent of the sin of idolatry, I want to quit wavering, and I want to serve him wholeheartedly. Just give whatever that is a name. Give it a name right now and say, God, I confess this to you. Forgive me. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hands right now at all of our campus and say, 
man, I'm, I'm in, I am repentant of the sins of idolatry. Just a ton of hands going up. And God, we, we just humbly pray and, and um, ask that you would draw us to yourself. And God, we commit to pursue you and that when we know you, uh, we would be broken of the sins of idolatry. And God, I pray that you give us eyes to see all the different areas of our lives where this, this, this sin that breaks your heart is a reality and we confess those sins to you and ask you to cleanse us, God. We recognize that we don't have the ability to overcome the sin of idolatry ourselves, God, but we, we ask that you would be so great. God, you, you've revealed yourself by fire before. I pray you just reveal yourself by the, the fire of the Holy Spirit that you would become so real to us now that we would worship and love and serve you with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. As you continue praying today, um, all of our campuses, uh, a lot of you are what I call nominal Christians, nominal Christians. A lot of you, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I don't, I don't understand the church thing, but I want to talk to the nominal Christians first. What is that nominal? It means Christian in name only. You're a good person, contribute to society, try not to do bad things, go to church occasionally. You, you believe the things about Jesus, but not so much that has changed your life. In, in other words, you're not seeking God through Scripture for direction. You're not praying about how to be wise stewards of what God gives you. It hasn't, Christianity hasn't changed the way you handle money and material possessions and anger and sexual lusts and such and such. Nominal Christian. You're wavering. You may believe in a monotheistic God, but you live in a polytheistic way. Quit wavering. Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Surrender today. Quit wavering. Don't be kind of sort of maybe. All in. Full blown. Not, not halfway, not on the fence, not full on for Christ. Others of you, you're like, man, that's, you, dude, I'm not even close to that. You know, this whole church thing is a bit different to me. But there, there is something that's, that's obviously happening that's spiritual, and I'm, I'm feeling drawn to God but I don't feel ready, I'm not clean enough, I'm not worthy. Let me just tell you what's going on. That is God drawing you, that is him loving you through the Holy Spirit. And your feeling of unworthiness is a very, very biblical feeling. You are unworthy and so am I because we are sinners. And there is no way we can work our way to God. It's impossible. That's why God became one of us. That's why he sent his son Jesus. That's why Jesus lived for us and died for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's why scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many of you are here because this is the moment of your salvation. Some of you, you're nominal Christians. You kind of believe, but you're, you're wavering. You're, you're, you've never fully stepped into a full-blown commitment. Others of you, that, that's something that's really never been on your mind, but you can recognize it's here and you're ready to give your life to Christ. You can sense it. Today you're going to step across the line of faith and you will be forgiven of your sin. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and you'll be totally different. At all of our campuses, there are those of you, you know it, you can sense it. This is, this is destiny. It's God's timing. That's why you're here. Jesus, save me, forgive me, be the Lord of my life. That's your prayer today. Would you lift your hands high? All of our campuses right now, just lift them up and say, that's me. Lift your hands and say, yes, I surrender to him. That's your prayer. Right back over here, toward back over here, both of you back here in the back and right back over here. God bless you guys, others of you, right back over here in this section up close to me and sir, right back over here. Others who would say yes, here in the middle section, God bless you as well. Others of you say yes, count me in. Both hands up right there, little man. Others who would say, save me, Jesus. I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. I'm not halfway in, partway in, right back over here and here as well in the middle section. Praise God for all of you, others of you today. Pray aloud, everybody together. Just pray, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner 
I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died for me and rose again to introduce me to the one true God. Be the Savior of my life. I put you on the throne. I now belong to you. I've been purchased by your shed blood. Take all of my life. From this point forward, I am yours. Thank you for new life, and now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, would you give it up for the God who is worthy of all praise?